Oh dear Lord God, we thank you. Thank you for coming to be born as a baby in Bethlehem. Thank you, Lord, for emptying yourself and being made flesh. Thank you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you for um, the humble abode that you made on earth, um, not just um, in taking on flesh, but in taking on flesh and being born of, of Mary. So th- thank you for Mary, Lord, and um, give us eyes to see what you would have us see, even as we look at her today. So we ask this in your name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I'm going to put people on the spot, and you don't even have to raise your hand high, but I just want to know if there are any people with a Roman Catholic background in here. Anyone? Yeah. Okay, because when we're talking about Mary, there are a couple of different things that we want to keep in mind. Um, I grew up in western Pennsylvania, and in western Pennsylvania, um, not to use it, I I love Mary, and I respect Mary, and I will call Mary blessed. Because um, that's what her her cousin Elizabeth does when she and Elizabeth um, encounter each other in Judea. But um, the Blessed Virgin Mary, we in Western Pennsylvania, um, not to make a joke about it, but here we go. In Western Pennsylvania, I was very Catholic, and my parents, as they were raising us, they would always sort of wryly mention that they were going to the BVM, which stood for the Beaver Valley Mall, and the and people called it the BVM. But then they also, it was a very Catholic place, and they also would say the BBM, and they meant the Blessed Virgin Mary. And so it was a little interesting to try to figure out what are they talking about. Are they talking about the Blessed Virgin Mary, or are they talking about the Beaver Valley Mall? So today we are not going to talk about the Beaver Valley Mall. We're going to talk about the Blessed Virgin Mary. Um, And so in looking at this, we need to ask, you know, in line with some of the Catholic doctrine that's surfaced over the last couple hundred years and following the Reformation, you know, it wasn't really until the Counter-Reformation that some of this doctrine about Mary became more solidified, about her Immaculate Conception, about things about her started to be spoken by the Pope after the Reformation and made doctrine for all Catholics to believe. Um, and, and so we want to distance ourselves from that as Protestants, and yet sometimes Protestant churches um, go so far as to not talk about Mary at all, ever. And it's such a shame because there's so much to be learned, so much to be gained from looking at her story. And her story is, in fact, our story. We're going to look at that today. How is Mary also a disciple of Jesus? How is she, in fact, the first disciple of Jesus? And how does she see herself if the whole world wants to exalt her? and raise her up, exalt her to this place of being um, queen of heaven or some of the other language coming recently out of Catholic circles in the last hundred years. Co-mediatrix, co-redemptrix are some of the things that people are petitioning the Pope to say. That um, Yeah, I know I'm seeing some surprise, but that is part of what um, popular Catholic devotion is pushing um, the Pope to make a stance on. so we'll look at that, but we're going to look at what the Bible says about Mary. We're going to look at a couple of the stories. Um, when we go to the the story of the Annunciation, which is one of my most favorite stories ever, and I can think of, I could have shown you the video, but you can go home and YouTube it. The beautiful version from Franco Zeffirelli's um, film, Jesus of Nazareth. I can see you nodding. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Be I have showed it once. I love it so much. Thank you for remembering Olivia Hussey, who was Juliet in Zeffirelli's Romeo and Juliet. He then casts her as Mary, the mother of Jesus. And she's so beautiful, so 
plain and pure and beautiful. And in the Annunciation, that he, as he depicts it on film, you don't actually see the angel, which is good, because we can't, can't even imagine what they look like. But what, all throughout scripture, whenever angels appear, the first thing out of their mouth, or next to the first thing, is do not be afraid. And so I think we have to remember that angels are probably not super cute little cherubs floating around on little wings like the way the media or our culture will portray them. Angels are awesome. Angels are huge. Angels are warriors. If you look in our nave, when you come up for communion, one of my favorite things, getting to be up in the chancel very close to the altar, and it's hard to notice if you're out in the congregation, but when you, if you come up to the rail to receive, look to your right and look to your left, and you'll see these huge angels flanking our table right up there. On the one side is the angel Michael, and the angel Michael is always depicted with sword and shield for defeating Satan, as it says in Revelation. And on the left side, um, you see the angel Gabriel, who's the angel that appeared to Mary. And the angel Gabriel has the lily extended um, that he extend that we see throughout Western art. Gabriel extends this lily to Mary as a sign of her purity, um, as a sign of the miracle that God would work in her body, that she, even though she was a virgin, would bear a child. Miracle of miracles. So I love looking at those angels. They are awesome. They still look like men with wings, but they're awesome. And I think it'll be really interesting to see one day what do angels look like when we cross Jordan and we're on the other side and we can say, oh, whoa, <laughs> um, they're pretty scary. They're pretty awesome in their holiness. Okay, so let's read. Um, we're going to read the Annunciation. Um, and I'm going to say something about the birth stories after the Annunciation, but will someone give me a break and read the whole of what I have up on the screen? Someone who can see it, and if you can't see it, you can move closer, or I can lend you my Bible if you'd like. Someone volunteer to read the whole thing? Okay, go ahead, Liz. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name is Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? <laughs> and the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child will be born, to be born will be called holy the Son of God, and behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word, and the angel departed from her. I feel Christmas coming on, don't you? <laughs> I should be doing this a month from now, <laughs> but we'll have Christmas in advance. The Christmas decorations are already up in the bookstore anyway. 
tell me, you talk to me, tell me what you see, what do you hear? And when you hear that read again about Mary, what does she say about herself and what does the angel say about her? What does Elizabeth say? Or we'll look at what Elizabeth says in a minute. But what do you notice? I'll go back. She's not married. She's chaste. What does the angel say? She's favored. Kind of a strange way to be created. I sometimes don't like it when people are like, guess what, you've won. You know, I don't think I want to win what you want me to win. I don't know that I want to buy what you're selling me. What does this mean? Oh, wait a second, what does this mean? She's greatly troubled at the thing. And she tries to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And again he repeats, doesn't he? You have found favor with God. And what does he say about Jesus? He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High, the Son of God. That's more than just a Messiah right there. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. This is indeed great David's greater son that she will carry in her womb. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. That's Messiah language. That's what they expected the Messiah to be. The fact that he gets um, also called the son of the most high is a bonus. He's son of God as well as earthly human Messiah. Of his kingdom there will be no end. Amazing. She asks how it will happen. How can this happen? And her response, her question is not seen. In scripture, it's not seen as being a lack of faith. It's more just, uh, I, she's probably trying to remember her birds and bees. I don't think this is possible, is it? <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine a young teenage girl? She probably is very likely very young. And so the angel tells her, um, how it will happen, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And then he, as proof, the angel tells her about her relative, her cousin Elizabeth, who has also conceived a son. Um, and uh, even though she was called barren, nothing will be impossible with God. And then Mary's response is the response of a faithful person. What does she say? Someone read it for us again. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I love the ESV translation, but I really like it when it says handmaid in other versions. Do you remember that? Behold, the handmaid of the Lord. I have no idea how this is going to happen. In her day and age, she would be shunned. In her little village, everyone would assume that she and Joseph hadn't waited, or even worse, that she had gotten pregnant by some other man, the, the punishment for that was stoning. She could be um, killed for this. And her response is a response of faith. She is trusting that, um, that the Lord indeed, his word is sure, and that he will protect her and preserve her from any trouble that might come upon her as a result of this wonderful favor bestowed upon her. She exhibits here, great faith. 
Um, she is a servant. She is lowly. She is the handmaid of the Lord. She um, submits to this strange thing. And she receives unmerited favor in bearing the Savior, the Messiah. Go ahead, Hallett. Well, Hallett, you start out and I'll have someone else finish. Great. Someone do 46 through 50 and then I have another slide waiting for you. Okay. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has sent strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers Abraham and to his children Beautiful. Does anybody remember when we talked about Hannah? That Hannah has a song of praise. After she finds out, um, after her prayer is answered, she was barren, and she longed for a son. She longed for a child because her husband had taken on a second wife, and the second wife had was very fertile and was making Hannah's life really difficult. And Hannah longed to be obedient in this way, longed to have a son, longed to um, provide for her family and for her husband in that way, longed for the companionship, I'm sure, longed for um, the ability to be able to fulfill that role of mother. And this, these are the words of Hannah in First Samuel 2, when she finds out, when she has her son Samuel, and Samuel is going to be great. My heart exalts in the Lord, and my horn is exalted in the Lord. Doesn't that sound like my soul magnifies the Lord? And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And then she also goes on to say, um, Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol, and he raises up. The Lord makes poor, and he makes rich. He brings low, and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and to inherit a seat of honor. Mary knows her Bible. She knows her Bible and she knows, uh, this song shows she knows that what is happening to her is a part of God's salvation history, a part of his plan, just as his plan in miraculously overcoming Hannah's barrenness was to show that he was mighty to intercede on behalf of his people, to bring them a leader like Samuel, who would bring them back to holiness, who would proclaim to them the Lord's desires, who would um, be a prophet after the Lord's heart, unlike the prophets that were before him. So she knows this story. She knows her scripture, and she is aware that something really big is happening to her. Um, And she said... All generations will call me blessed, right? Behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. She is indeed called blessed because she is the one who receives the unmerited favor to bear the Son of God. 
And he thought about that before we move on. Give me, give me a chance to rest my voice. Come on, talk to me. Yes. Yeah. And she talks about it being unmerited favor. God is not partial. Jacob hath I loved. I mean, God is not partial, but there is this sense when we receive grace from him, we feel like we're being singled out, chosen. We are. She's chosen to be the one to bear the Lord. Why do you think she's chosen? Is it because of any merit on her own? Or as, as some would say, her sinlessness. Is Mary sinless? No. But I do think she's humble, isn't she? She's so humble, and the Lord delights to raise her up. When Jesus is born, they take him to the temple out of faithfulness to the law. And you see there just how poor they are. Joseph and Mary could not afford the, the, the cheapest sacrifice in the law, which was a lamb. They couldn't afford to offer a lamb in Thanksgiving for the birth of their son. And so instead, they offer two pigeons, which was the bare minimum. They could not afford to give thanks and to offer a sacrifice. And the Lord, the Lord chose them. They were not rich or, um, or as it says, you know, when, when Samuel is looking at anointing David as king, the Lord looks at the eyes of the heart and not at the outward appearance. Um, the Lord knows that she's faithful, that she's lowly. Um, that she's humble and that she has the faith to be able to bear this child and bear, walk through the suffering that she would walk through. So going back to Luke, what, what we see too is that when, when Mary goes to visit Elizabeth um, in, in Judea, Elizabeth, remember Elizabeth sees Mary and the baby in Elizabeth's womb, John the Baptist, leaps for joy in the presence of his Savior. The baby left in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women and, women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. In this sense, and in this sense alone, is Mary the mother of the faithful, of all those who believe, who believe that Jesus' work on the cross is enough for us, who walk with faith over the Jordan, who walk trusting that God is shielding us from the consequences of our own sin. When we walk with faith, we are walking like Mary. She walked with faith, and her faith, for the first time in salvation history, her faith is specifically in the person of Jesus, the Word, the eternal Word, made flesh. And so that's why I called her the first disciple for us. Her ascent, okay, I'll do this, is a powerful testimony of faith in God's will, despite anxiety and uncertainty. And her life will change drastically. Some people will think she's crazy. She will be shunned because she's illegitimately pregnant. She might be physically punished or even killed. She will suffer a lifelong stigma as Jesus' mother. And she will experience great pain as she watches her beloved son willingly die for the people that he loves. Probably every mother in the room knows that the worst thing is not actually to suffer yourself.
but to watch your child suffer and you can't do anything about it. Uh, the words of Simeon when they brought Jesus into the temple to give thanks for the birth of his son. The words of Simeon the prophet. Um, someone read those for us, that first bullet point. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, for a sign that it is opposed. And the sword will pierce through his own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. As Luke says, a sword will pierce Mary's heart. And yet, because of God's joyous grace in choosing her, for this task, because of the generous good news of the coming salvation, um, she's willing to obey. Her heart is freed. She's glad because she trusts that God is working salvation for her and for all the people of God. And so her response is the response of a disciple who says to the Lord, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. She says, Thy will be done. And it is this submission to the Lord that brings her joy. She has such great joy. There's a poem um, by, well, let me go to the poem in a minute. But first of all, so Mary, how Mary sees herself. She's the lowly handmaid. She's receiving unmerited favor. Um, other people see her and say, Oh, highly favored one, blessed is she. She believed. They see her faith and they recognize it for what it is. Later on in, um, wait till I get to it. Um, okay. So later on in Luke's gospel, we see there's someone in the crowd. Someone read this first part from Luke 11 who says this, and we'll talk about blessedness, her blessedness. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed, brother, are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Hmm. Someone read the next passages. It's from Matthew 12, but there are, it's also found in Mark and in Luke. Anyone who can see, if you can see it, read it. Go for it, Leslie. Thank you. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mothers and his brothers stood outside, asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And searching out and stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whenever for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. A different kind of blessedness. The woman in the crowd shouting out, Blessed is the womb that bore you, and blessed are the breasts at which you nurse. She has tried to attribute merit to Mary based on her motherhood. Merit based on, and there is, there are a lot of good deeds done as mothers, um, but they will, they will not stand in the face of the righteousness um, that God requires of us. And so Jesus, by saying, no, she's not blessed in that way, even though we've seen earlier on in Luke's gospel that she is indeed blessed. She's blessed because of the unmerited favor extended to her. But he's saying, no, she's not blessed because of a work of her own. She's not blessed because she's taken on this role. 
Motherhood is a blessed thing. It's a wonderful thing. But it is not, um, it's not a ladder or a rung in a ladder by which we can climb up to God. Or it's not a bridge by which we can cross the Jordan River. The, the blessedness comes from Jesus. It comes from the righteousness that's given through Jesus. Because it's a righteousness according to the law. And here, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. That faith that's given to the disciples, the faith from outside ourselves, how many of us as disciples of Jesus have heard the word of God and kept it perfectly? Not one. But Jesus, the eternal word, he is the one who fulfills the law. He is the one who has perfectly heard the word of God and perfectly kept it. He is the word of God. He is the one who has done the Father's will on earth, even as he went to the cross. And it's through faith in him that our hearts are somehow, sometimes, freed up to be able to obey and to say like Mary that I will be done behold the handmaid of the Lord well we know that Jude is one and we know that James is one scripture tells us that Jude wrote you know Jude which is very short and James the brother of Jesus was a leader in the early church but the scripture suggests that perhaps the, disciples, the brothers of Jesus didn't believe in him they weren't even really following him during his life because you see in John's Gospel in chapter 7 that they're sort of deriding him. Oh, you want to be a big guy? Go down to Jerusalem. You know, they're kind of, they, they grew up with him. So can you imagine having Jesus Christ as your older brother? <laughs> Everyone thought my older brother was Jesus Christ and he's not. I, mean, I know how imperfect he is, but can you imagine if your older brother was perfect? It'd be terrible. Thank you, Dr. He really, yeah, I know, it really would be. But you would feel your own imperfection so much more. I would. If you have that race, that competition. Well, I do think there's a hatred of Jesus because of his righteousness. I think you see it in the New Testament in the way the religious leaders respond to him. The hatred is because he's perfect. He perfectly obeys the law. He knows the mind of God, and they feel their lack in the midst of it. And whenever we feel, I don't know about you, but when a really, sorry, when it, sorry, gentlemen, we're going to use the ladies' example, but if a really beautiful woman walks in the room, how many of us as women, we just immediately feel like, I don't look like that. <laughs> right? We feel our lack we're in, when we're in the presence of perfection or near perfection. So uh, my opinion is that the younger brothers would probably been like, oh, this guy. We know him. Whatever. He's not that great. Um, but so there is a new family of God, a new family. Jesus is saying, these are not my family, my blood relatives half-blood relatives are not my family, um, but my disciples are my new family. There is a new um, brotherhood, sisterhood, through faith in Jesus Christ, a new fellowship that we share. Um, and so there's this wonderful poem that talks about um, the discipleship of Jesus, and it's actually written kind of by an Anglo-Catholic Anglican, but I'm going to go with it anyway. By John Donne, there's this poem about the Annunciation. Um, to Mary. Does anybody feel comfortable reading this ancient poetry? If you don't, I'll, I'll overtax my voice. <laughs> anybody want to read it? Feel like you want to? It's okay. If you can't see it, that's alright. Go for it, Ruth. Yeah. Salvation to all that will is nigh. That all, which always is all everywhere. Which cannot sin, and that all sins must bear. Which cannot die, 
that cannot choose but die. Lo, faithful virgin, yields himself to lie, in prison, in thy womb, and though he and though he there can take no sin, nor thou give yet he'll wear. Taken from thence flesh, which death's force may try. Ere by the spheres time was created, thou wast in his mind, who is thy son and brother, whom thou conceivest, conceived, yea, thou art now thy maker's maker, and thy father's mother. Thou hast light and dark, and shuttest in little room, immensity, cloistered in thy dear womb. Thank you. Isn't that beautiful? Doesn't Don do a really wonderful job uh, expressing the paradox of the virgin birth? Expressing the paradox of um, the eternal, sinless, righteous God um, being knit together in her womb, knit together, made flesh, and yet not taking on the sin. Um, sin did not pass through her placenta to him. He did not drink in of her sin. He is still sinless. Um, and then that idea, too, that he knew her before the world began and yet is being made in her. Whom thou conceivest conceived. Um, he had conceived of her. He knew all about her before she ever conceived him. So this closeness with Jesus, there are many things that characterize Mary as a disciple. That humble submission, that thy will be done. Um, disciples in general, generally, pretty much we um, end up suffering. Isn't the life of the Christian uh, life of taking up our cross, denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following Jesus? Um, the suffering, which for Mary it was exemplified by the sword that pierced her soul while she stood at the foot of the cross and watched her beloved son die there, suffer and die. So there's that faithful submission that thy will be done. There's that, um, that sense of um, suffering, being willing to suffer for the sake of the name of Jesus, being willing to suffer. Um, and then that union by faith with Christ. We are united by our faith in him, with him. And there was, when I was in college, I got very into this book called, uh, I forget what it's called, oh, no, of course I forget what it's called. It's this amazing book that was written in the 90s about um, women's biology. Sorry, men. But one of the things that was really interesting, talking about some things that just don't get researched because most of the researchers are men and they're sort of like, let's just leave it alone. We don't really understand the woman's body and we don't really know that we want to. It's working. We're just going to go with that. It's been working for you know centuries, millennia. We're just going to go with that. Well, this woman was a scientist and she started to explore and find out some things that she wanted to learn um, because she, she said, well, this is worth learning about. And some of the things were so amazing to get to learn about that, um, for example, that a woman, when a woman carries a, a girl child in her body, the girl's um, basically completely formed. She will have all the eggs in her body um, while she's being formed in the womb of her mother, which means that a woman carries in her body one cell that will someday become her grandchildren or grandchild. So. A mother who's pregnant, my best friend who just bore a child yesterday, a little girl, Matilda, thanks be to God, while she was carrying Matilda, she was carrying in her body any of the cells that would become her grandchildren. 
Isn't that neat? So this same woman also said that a woman will carry in her body, even as she's carried the children that she bears over the course of her life, um, even once the child's born, there remain some cells from that fetus, from that infant, in her body for the rest of her life. She will carry around in her body that same DNA of the child. So she has foreign DNA in her body of the children that she has born. So I think about that with Mary. How close can you get to your Savior than to carry within, his, within your own body the cells from his body? It's an amazing concept. What an amazing concept of intimacy. I think of intimacy as being as close as you can get to another person without being the other person, without totally crashing into them and no longer being yourself, but being distinct, two separate people together as close as possible. And that is exactly um, what happened for Mary. She was closer than any one of us could ever be to our Lord Jesus because she was so close to him physically. And that physical closeness, um, thank goodness, also had a spiritual component of faith to it. So we will see her again. Um, But this is the reason for her joy. She knows that um, through this child, God is saving the world. She knows that that God is being made flesh. Um, She knows that her maker um, has come down and will come down to redeem the dark world around her. Um, So John Donne's enigmatic words do actually make sense. Because of Jesus' birth, God's immense and eternal love exists even in the fleshliness of our world. By becoming human, he was hampered, even imprisoned in a sense. Dunn says he was cloistered in Mary's womb. God himself has restricted himself in order that we might have freedom and um, so like Mary, because of this great gift that has been given, given to us in Jesus, the gift of God's own self, the gift of this closeness to God through Jesus that is made because of his righteousness. Remember in the Old Testament that you couldn't get close to the Ark of the Covenant or the presence of God because he's so holy. And as a sinful people, um, the danger is that we would be consumed by his holiness um, because you cannot have unholiness in the presence of of the ultimate holiness. Um, And yet in Jesus, that nearness is made possible. And we see it first with Mary, that holiness here is encased and in flesh and even dwells within her, even as she is in an unholy vessel. And so that's true for us too, that as we put our trust in Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in us, in all of his holiness. Um, And we are imperfect. Um, We limp along. We are jars of clay, as St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians. And the cracks um, in these jars of clay, this dust, are the um, way in which the light of Christ shines through. God's holiness is made manifest even in our weakness. And when we are aware of our weakness, when we confess our weakness, when we say, I am am lowly, Um, He has his eye on the humble one, just like Mary. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Um, God's light shines through the cracks, um, even in our own selves. 
So Mary was given the gracious gift of getting to be so intimately close to Jesus that they are considered to be one. And we too as disciples of Jesus are given the same gracious gift because by the power of the Holy Spirit, through faith, we are united with our Savior. We are sealed and marked as Christ's own forever. Just like we said about those babies an hour ago. We are his. We belong to him. We are one with him. As disciples, we respond to the gift of salvation like Mary with amazement and with abandon. We give up all our plans, all our other allegiances in order to serve our Lord because we can trust that he knows what he's doing even when we walk through suffering like Mary, even when we're not sure what the outcome is going to be like. And so like Mary, we have joy even in the midst of this life of discipleship. Joy that sustains us in the midst of suffering and loss. Joy from Christ's own presence. Um, Joy despite our frustrated plans. Joy in the midst of scandal and stigma and rejection. Joy even though we might be confused and frightened. Joy because the King has come and He will come again. Joy already and joy not yet fulfilled, but joy because our future is certain, joy because our past is redeemed, joy because King Jesus has begun his reign. He has entered in and he has redeemed us from the power of sin and death. And so we pray like Mary, um, behold the handmaid of the Lord, and we can pray to that last um, verse, from that beautiful Christmas carol, O Little Town of Bethlehem. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, indeed we ask, cast out our sin and enter in. Behold, we are lowly, and yet in you we receive unmerited favor, and we are blessed indeed. Thank you, Lord, for all the blessings that you bestow on us. Forgiveness of sin freedom from our own selves in this life um, and eternal life in the next. Thank you, Lord, for your gifts and your promises in Jesus. And we ask now, be born in us today. In Jesus' name, amen.